This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Today's episode is kind of something we've touched on previously, kind of not, and it provides a little bit more detail than what we discussed earlier. And it's basically why cataloging your collection is important, what tools we use, when you should catalog, etc. Uh, and this was all brought about, you know, obviously previously we've talked about insurance and how to insure your collection. We've talked about inventory systems. Uh, so effectively a couple weeks ago, one of my friends passed and I was charged with helping to appraise his card collection. Well, the issue was none of this stuff was cataloged. So you may not think it's important to catalog your stuff, but trust me, it is because you never know when a tragic boating accident is going to strike and all of your stuff goes missing. Tragic boating accident. And with that, let's get started. Uh, so I've kind of sliced this into two sides of things. Um, I have the way I track my personal collection, the way I track my specs or what I would uh, call my business side of things when a TCG player store, um, what I was bringing to an event, etc. And for me, um, my personal uh, tracking is mainly meant for when I'm buying or trading at an event. And it's basically just to make sure that I'm not picking up extras. Mm -hmm. uh, my personal stock is just four of, you know, playables. So one to four of, I'll, I'll say that. And I don't like to pick up things unnecessarily, especially when they're kind of oddball and that type of mind thing. So for like EDH, if I'm like, oh, I could use that kind of thing. And then I come back home and I realize I've had one this entire time. And uh, for me, it, it's been pretty helpful, as you mentioned up top, general record keeping and reference uh, for insurance appraisal reconciliation in, in this case as well, uh, and you know, kind of a finance tracker for any number of reasons. So for me personally, I use Echo MTG and I just use a free account and I have a number of my long-term um, holds in there, my, my big buys. So, uh, my duels, my power are in there because it helps me just kind of see the maturation of a lot of these odds and ends. Sometimes it's actually, uh, I use it inversely, similarly, but for inver but for the, the inverse. So I picked up Rav Dark Confidants when they were 90 before MH, or not MH, Modern Masters 1, right? So that's just a stark reminder to me that shit happens. Gorio's Vengeance, similarly 30 apiece. Oof for tin fins they're they're in echo and now they're seven dollars a piece right so that neg just sits there the entire time and it just kind of serves as a reminder that if you just show if i just show my wins when i look at my maturation then it, it gives me this sense of invincibility but i need to see my losses in front of me to re remain humble and realize that you know at any point in time any of this can go sideways i echo is one that i use as well another one that i use and i like for insurance purposes and this is one that obviously depending on your insurance company they'll take it but they still need additional information like photographs whatever uh, i actually like tcg's collection tracker a lot and the reason i like it is because it automatically populates whenever you make an order the only thing that sucks is obviously if you get rid of those cards you've got to go back and manually remove them from the list which little bit tedious there's no like super easy way to do it i also like it because it easily exports into a csv which i believe echo does as well actually it's pretty at some common. level echo does yeah yeah it's pretty common now that a lot of that stuff exports to a csv so you can easily buy list 
send a spreadsheet that someone can make sense of, whatever. Um, but those those are really good, and I like the stark difference there between you know TCG Player and Echo. Is like you touched on. Echo shows you the growth of your portfolio, so to speak. Yeah. You get to see your wins and losses, what happens with the value, etc. And TCG Player is literally just here's what it's worth on the open market at this moment. That's what you've got to deal with, and you don't necessarily have the data tracking that you would on you know, an echo or something like that. I know some people use not tapped out. What is it? Uh, decked, I believe. Yeah. Um, which basically sets prices off of market, but it lets you keep tabs for decks and everything else, which oh, is, you know, kind of cool. Uh, cause then you can keep individually track of this deck has these foils. Yeah. This deck has these duels, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I like, those are the two that I use personally our Echo and TCG collection tracker. Now, professionally, uh, I basically have my own incredibly archaic system that I use that's just a Google Sheet, which is completely inefficient and a complete waste of time, and I don't recommend anyone ever go that route for their per- like business inventory. It's awful. Don't do it. It's terrible. That's fair. Uh, similarly, uh, that's what I have listed as well, but for me, um, for my business side of things, again, quote unquote, um, the way I do it is I actually have one sheet per card location. And I'm going to put the word location in quotes because I have different labels on different boxes for different things. And so each box gets its own sheet in, in, in Google sheet. So it's not one tab in one worksheet, everything gets its own sheet. And that helps me stay organized and at a glance understand kind of what's where for the for the business side of things uh, kind of like bins that some uh, stores use um, on their back end now do you track cost on the business side as well or no so and if so how i was um so tcg player updated their system like a week or two ago and i haven't looked to see what they did but it feels like they just uh, they updated to react so it, you can no longer in well you can probably do it if you write a lot of custom code. I don't want to spend the time to do it when you can do it elsewise, and I'll explain. You can no longer use the old formula to grab prices off the page because when Google tries to access the page, the components on the page haven't loaded yet. So the prices aren't there. Um, to help with that, I wrote uh, a new script that's up in, a, in my GitHub account in the podcast Discord that will display a price readout of... Um, all conditions and uh, conditions and subconditions. So that's near mint, uh, LP, foil, etc. of a card sold. The count of each, the min max date and the market price as identified from the summation of prices divided by total number sold. Right. So that's at a glance. Now, uh, what I have started to do in Google Sheets is actually use uh, the Goldfish website because they display market price on a page that loads when you access the, the web page itself. So all the data is right there. And I haven't updated everything because it's a slog. That means updating yeah. set names and card names to match exactly what's on Goldfish and then copying the same formula. So I will <clears throat> in time, but right now it's just been too time, time consuming to go back and update all my sheets. And then every now and then I remember I also have to do all of that again for the uh, picks that we've made, You know, all hundreds of them. Yeah. And it just becomes an overwhelming project. Um, it's... Go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, so when you track your cost of goods, mm-hmm. you go off that information, or do you go off, like, order? Um, I go off order because mainly I'm ordering okay. from TCG Player, and I get hit yeah. with sales tax, so I just apply sales tax to each card. Um, and I actually have... So not only do I track it uh, in my spreadsheet, I actually write on the, the cases the quantity and the price, price on each. Yeah. So it's... It, I double up on it in case something were to go sideways or I just get lazy. Um, and for me right now, my business is just either selling to vendors or backpacking. And yeah. it, it makes it easy to put a price on a sleeve when I can just hit um, a Google Sheet. I, I would agree that it's not a good way to conduct business overall to use um, a Google Sheet for it, especially when you have a decently large inventory. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing, and this is something you know based on scale, uh, when we, you know, at Mini, we priced off last purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't matter how many copies you have, they were all priced at your last purchase. I know some companies do an aggregate of, yep. you know, the last six months of purchases or whatever. Um, I do each individual purchase yes. on mine. Okay. So, like, when I buy 100 Sarkins Unsealings um, for 12 cents each, mm-hmm. all right, I now have 100 at 12 cents. So what I do when I unload them is, and this is something that I always love talking to other vendors about, is when I unload them somewhere and I take them out of my inventory, I always unload the cheapest ones first. Okay. Rather than the most recent or most expensive or whatever. And the reason being is that I want to ensure my gross covers cost of goods Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Okay. And if that means selling a bunch of copies that I paid twelve cents for when it was nothing, fine. The rest are all free rolls. So if I have a hundred that I bought at twelve cents and I have fifty that I bought at fifty cents, you know, I'm gonna sell all of the twelve cents and see how close that gets me to covering the cost of all the fifty cents as well, yeah. just to see how many more I have to sell at a profit to cover my cost of goods. And I know some companies will always go most recent, get it out the door, whatever the most recent one was, that's the one we're selling. And I think that's a problem of scale, obviously, because when it's you know just me and I've got my three, five rows of specs or whatever it is, half of one is Sarkin's Unsealing, the others are all good cards. Um, keeping track of that's a lot easier. Yes, yeah. But when you've got millions of cards that you're keeping track of, even if you have software doing it, it's really hard to itemize. All right, which Tarmogoyf was this? Yeah. All right, this is uh, checks notes. Uh, Twelve dollar Tarmogoyf. Great. Cool. Get it out of here. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I handle my inventory the same way. So every buy I make on a card is priced to that individual buy, and then when I unload, I look to see uh, who am I unloading, who I am unloading to, and what I'm making where. And if I split, I usually split similarly. Otherwise, okay. I'll sell to one person individually. So conveniently, when ABU was buying. Um, Sunbird's Invocation. I basically unloaded everything, I think, in, in one go, but I started uh, similarly. I started at the cheapest brick that I had and locked that in, and then the next brick and the next brick, and yeah. uh, sold out that way. And, you know, as we always said, you know, for small inventory, you know, this stuff is great because it's all manual. There's no automation, and it is a problem uh, of scale. It, the, the thing that I like about it um, compared to something like Echo for personal stuff, is that my separation of concerns is pretty decent, so I can track um, personal versus or bit, TCG versus show versus you know um, backpacking binder etc. And it gives me 
cut the customization I need or want because I control every aspect of it as opposed to something like uh, Echo or Deck where I just enter it and they, they take care of the rest. And I, I think that's important is that having that distinction between the two uh, because even outside of, you know, whatever, bookkeeping, insurance purposes, etc., I I think that as collectors of whatever cards, as vendors, as players, it's important to note that there is a difference between the cards that you're going to play with and the cards that you have just sitting in a trade binder. Because, yep. like, a trade binder's a trade binder. I'm going to get rid of this stuff, right? And I think that division of principles is super important. And especially when you're doing your bookkeeping and your inventorying, it's important to keep that separated yep. and to say, these are my cards, these are my trade cards. Because outside of, you know, when you're trying to look at your inventory and you're adjusting stuff because you got rid of cards, well, you don't want to look through one list for everything. Well, I unloaded a, you know, FBB UC into a revised UC plus some credit and my Nicol Bola CDH deck. Great. I know to go to the nickel bolus section and do that. Yeah. Whereas if it's just all one list, well, I mean, there's like somewhere in here, you know, let me control F and see if I can find it mm -hmm. type of deal. And, you know, that distinction is super important. And it's something that I think a lot of people when they're inventorying personal, you know, especially at the backpacker level, yeah. I had an issue with that at first. I was not good at separating those out at all. It was just one list for everything. And it was just a nightmare to deal with. So eventually I was like, you know what, just forget it. I'm going to I'm gonna redo this whole thing and yeah. we'll keep it separate. Yeah, as far as the separation of playables versus everything else, or you know, business slash specs go, what actually did it for me was, and this, is, this happens at the vendor level too, it's difficult to associate cost of goods on a, pa on a card you open in a booster pack. And yeah. if that's what I'm doing, if that's how I acquire the card because it's in standard or whatever, and it hits my binder... Like, I'm not tracking all those individual interactions for trades, so anything that basically sits in the plate section is stuff that I've most likely traded for or bought for in standard, but the intention was the intention was not to resell for profit. So the idea of tracking all of that data, aside from where it's located, like in this deck kind of thing, or in this box and appropriately labeled, is kind of out the window on that, because for me it's an unnecessary detail. It, like... The cards in that section, I don't expect to be anything better than LP because at some point in time, they should all be played somewhere. Yeah. Right. And if I do acquire more of something, then it overflows and I have to figure into spec and I have to figure out what to do on the COG for stuff like that. So I think uh, Shocklands were an easy one when uh, we went back to Rav the first time and I was just gobbling those up and fetch lands from cons. I eventually had to figure out what to do with the overstock of that and, and figure out how I wanted to put it in my system. Um, you know, and eventually I just started going off TCG Player. It wasn't a buy per se, but I was using the app heavily at the time, so I could just figure it out at the end of the day. But that's kind of where it spills over. Otherwise, for me, it would just become this like daunting task to add and subtract what goes into the playable section. Because every now and then, something better gets printed than what was in there previously, and now I have both. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the case of those, like, how did you determine cost of goods for yourself? Would you do it as the whatever you know, fraction of a pack, or would you do it as though you had actually bought it? Uh, no, I would just trade at, um, so my COG when I was trading anything that I opened in a pack was just a TCG player market. Yeah. What came okay. back in the trade app. Yeah, I didn't, Yeah. like, trying to go home and figure out, I did for a while, I was actually trying to be diligent about it, and I was tracking, not 
um, down to like not even dollar amounts. What I was actually tracking was just trades, my side, their okay. side, and trades I'd make in a night. I would just write down in a little notebook and see if I could keep up with it. And it was like oh, yeah. somewhere in that experiment, I realized that it was just too overwhelming to try and do. And if I was trading the cards I was going to play, I really didn't care if I if I won a trade, you know. Or if I got yeah. something I could resell as part of a trade because I picked up a card I needed to play or cards, whatever. Like the me- I-, I needed a different I needed a different mentality when I was trading for playables. Like And I think the interesting thing is that, you know, back in our day when we had to walk uphill both ways fifteen miles in the snow to get to a Grand Prix with a luggage cart filled with five rows, uh, compared to now where you have apps that'll handle the trade and you can just screen cap the values and it makes it a lot easier yep. because you know back when we were first starting 15 20 years ago or whatever it was we didn't have that so it was just like i remember going to the pre-release and printing out the uh modal price guide oh yeah you yep. know the magic online oh, traders league price yep. guide for the new set and that's what i went off of and i'd hand write it all down and everything and it's gotten a lot easier now just you know it, naturally technology is what technology is yep. And it makes life easier. So it's gotten a lot easier to keep track of that. That said, I still don't. Yeah. Oh. Do you degen I, uh, crack packs or no? Uh, no. I So my degen crack packs is flip it or rip it. So don't ever keep track of that. That's it's, just lighting money on fire. Count it as a loss. Because right. I, I believe if you're going to go degen, go degen. Go degen, yeah. Just, just full, all in, go for it, you know. Um, but I think that you know that's something that works for each individual person yeah and that was part of you know the episode was we wanted to be like here's what works for us here's some suggestions that may work for you um like i i don't even screenshot trades at this point what i do is if i have a binder that i'm flipping over the weekend i know my i total up at the start of the weekend and i total down at the end of the weekend did i make 20 percent great cool if my if my value buy list or tcg low is up 20 percent, i'm happy yeah yeah if i if i binder now it's mainly just trades for stuff i need you know um all my binders for the most part are are excess because i don't really play standard so who gives a fuck if i'm just degen opening packs for fun for standard like yeah i'll trade it i don't care i try and trade cards that i know are played in formats that are heavily played and usually stuff like that becomes uh, like or moves into the spec box at that point. But I know what I pick up at the end of any given night, so I know if I want to mark a COG on it, I absolutely can because I can just review what I picked up. Uh, I it's not a trick I learned, but it's just something I've started to do. Over, I started to do over time, which is anything that I've picked up in a trade and I know I'm going to hold on to, it just goes in the back of the binder uh, backwards. Yep, uh, that's. The, the universal backwards or upside down are the two that I've noticed, but it's always the back of the binder. Yeah. Uh, and it's always, oh, those are the stuff I picked up this weekend. It's not for trade. And it's like, okay. Yeah. You got your system. That's what you have to get. Good on you. Exactly. You know? and, and it allows me to, to keep inventory that way. And this has kind of uh, been able to, to keep me sane. I, I, I can't really insure an entire, a collection off of it, not even what I have in Echo, because Echo limits you to 300 and some odd unique cards. Sorry. 300 some odd cards total for the free account and i don't use it enough to pay uh to want to pay because i don't want price alerts all the time on this stuff that's not what i'm using echo for not to say that one can't or shouldn't i believe a lot of what they do is fantastic and you, yeah. you want to pay for it by all means go for it um 
I just can't use it to track everything I want to because like I said, I want to keep, you know, those losses there as a stark reminder. Now, yeah. Uh, reserve list matters. Don't buy dark confidants. Oh, and I, I think that's an important lesson too about cataloging stuff is making sure that it helps provide perspective on your collection, yeah. your inventory, whatever, because it, it is important. Like, you know, I I think I've missed on far more than I've hit on, but you know, that's part of the territory and I think that's yeah. one of the reasons that you need to keep track of, you know, your collection and where it's at value wise, because Look, as much as we can say, you know, the reserve list does nothing but rise, we'll touch on that later, I will in this episode, you know, there's there's exceptions to everything. Yep. And it's important to know, like, well, we're in a, you know, are we in a bubble right now? Is this a bear, bull market, whatever? Like, is this a good time to cash out? So I think that, you know, for me, and sounds like you as well, having that point of reference on the price trends on your collection is important because it does tell you. Well, you know, now is a good time for me to get out. Yep. Now yep. is a good time for me to be buying more of these cards. If I want, you know, more fetch lands, and Echo is saying they're down 12%, maybe I pick them up. Yep, absolutely. Um, and again, these are solutions that work for me because of uh, my methods and my velocity. If I wanted yeah. to be more proactive and I wanted price alerts, there are a lot more solutions out there. Echo is a paid one. There are other uh, MTG finance guys that run know they're on price tracker stuff you know uh, i think actually chilcott has some stuff on price yeah chili has some really good tools yeah um band network has some tools too like mm -hmm. they, you know, those, those and both of those groups are all about you know flipping much faster than i am so yeah you know, something you're interested in that's also something you can take a look at to you know appraise your collection and, and keep attract and keep up to date with what's going on so that's the other thing is you've got to determine what you want from all of this as well. If it's just truly that kind of, uh, as we mentioned up top, that appraisal or reconciliation, then, you know, by all means, a Google Sheet might work. TCG collection tracker might work for you as well. And there's you know, any number of options out there for you. It's important to keep that in mind because, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all industry for, like, personal collection, for vendor even that's something we arc on every episode is that, you know, what do you want to do as a vendor? What's your niche? So. Yeah, but by, by no means should you not be tracking any part of your collection. Uh, yeah, no, it, it is it is incredibly important, not just for, like, personal finance, but also because, like, you know, there there is a point where you have, you know, a car, like an entire car or a down payment on a house in your collection and you want to make sure you have that catalog because if something happens and there is a tragic boating accident, um, you know, and you just throw a bunch of sick deals out there because there was a tragic boating accident and uh, you need your insurance. Yeah. So it is it is important to keep track of that stuff. Absolutely. All right. Ready to talk about reserve list? Yes, let's do it. All right, All right so this is picks my pick and uh let me start this off with a caveat i am not saying go out and buy this card this pick is more about a market trend than it is about a specific card uh my pick is unlimited black lotus which i know i tend to shoot for the moon with my picks sometimes with like time vault and stuff like that so why black lotus well because we're hitting the blue chip uh you know, phase of seeing a little bit of a reduction in prices. So we're at the blue chip reserve list retrace period, whereas a $13,000 Lotus three months ago is now down to about 11,000. Why is that important? 
because if you look at the MTG stocks graph for Black Lotus, for example, we're going to go back to January 18th. And looking at the average and looking at the low, average is a little bit wonky, and Lotus might not be the best one to use on stocks just because so much of its velocity is on Facebook and eBay. Basically, what you're looking at is every time you see one this card spike, say, for example, January 18, Ixalan, we had a couple of spikes, and then it goes down, and the floor is a little bit higher. And then in March, it goes up, then goes down, the floor is a little bit higher. You see this retrace every time where we hit this peak and then all of a sudden it starts to retrace a little bit and fall down in price. So looking at like January 21 to July 21 on Black Lotus, you can see that we had a low of 23.5 that held for a few weeks and now we're down to 21.4. Uh, another example to look at, and this one's much more practical, Tropical Island, same time period, looking at market and or average and low and market. Market shows a steady upward climb. That's important because that's what we've been saying about the reserve list is it only goes up. But you can see steadily. So January 18, Ixlan were a little bit steady and then M19 hits and we hit this peak. All of a sudden we get a little bit of a retrace. Then we hit a little bit of a peak again around eh, just after M21. And then we see a little bit of a retrace. And then we hit the huge surge in January and then we see a retrace. So why am I calling this out? As we touched on in this episode, and this is not typical for us, we like to do the vendor perspective, sometimes people just want cards to play with, and you may want some of these cards to play with. This is the time to buy these cards because these blue chip reserve list cards are not getting any cheaper than they are now. Every time this retrace hits, yeah, it's lower than it was a few months ago, but that's the new floor. That floor is not getting any lower anytime soon unless Wizards gets struck by a meteor and decides they want to undo the reserve list, which is an entire series of episodes that you should check out that we did. At any rate, they're not getting cheaper. So if you want them either for yourself or you want to start having a few of these just in case events start up again, if you have the capital, now is the time to start investing in this. Yeah, Specifically the blue chips. So not like your Grim Feasts or your Purgatories or your you know Reserveless Slumlord stuff like I like. The stuff that actually sees play. You know, it, it starts every time at the top end where you'll see like Lotus and stuff like that. And then you'll see the duels, your libraries, your tabernacles, your workshops. Stuff like that start to retrace. That's when you need to pounce. So this pick is all about the market trend and buy-in on the dip, not the spike. So if you want these long-term for yourself, if you want these for stock, now is the time to actively move capital into these to sit on because they will never be cheaper than this. And, and we mentioned it before and we'll, we'll say it again that this is cyclical and it's always worth the call out because once the rebound starts, nothing, it will never come back again. The, no. the next floor will be higher than the previous floor and you're just going to possibly get priced out so yep. if you're able to move on something you've been looking at on the reserve list sooner rather than later track it just to make sure that it hits a point where you're comfortable buying in because it's not like these things retrace immediately there is a little bit of, of movement beforehand and you can kind of you know determine that through stocks if you're a uh, diligent you know tcg player as well you can start to see the floor start to rise and you know that's your moment you know and it will always be, this topic bears repeating and so it's yeah. about about that time so uh, for me i'm swinging the other way 
Uh, I'm sticking with EDH just because it's easy. Yeah. And this is a card I've been watching for a while, so a card that's really interesting to me overall because it's wonky. It's Cauldron of Souls from Shadow more specifically. Right? So, five for an artifact. Uh, just tap it, choose any number of target creatures. Each of those creatures gain persistence line of turn, right? So, if they are placed into the graveyard, they return to the battlefield with a minus one, minus one counter on it. It's like, alright, cool. It's interesting. Um, and right now, Card Kingdom is buying 24 or $2 a piece, set foil, they're buying eight at ten dollars ish. TCG player market is three dollars uh, sixty, and there are fifty-seven LP or better English on the market. Um, all of these numbers are up. Um, well, up. since uh, I added this to my added this to my list back in October, uh, the number of items on the market is down. Everything else is up. Now, the interesting about this is that, uh, as far as playability is concerned, this being an artifact makes it really nicely agnostic, and so it fits a swath of strategies in EDH and spans the gamut from control to combo to aggro. So it basically fills every niche, niche you would want in the format. And this isn't a foundational card for strategies that play in the graveyard, so it's not always immediately in the skeleton of the deck, but it's highly synergistic with uh, a lot of strategies that want to play out of the graveyard like this. So I'll bring up EDH right as I talk about the, the next section. Hold on, y'all. We'll take a look at the new commanders and uh, the top few as we talk about this. So, as I mentioned, there's a subset of control, combo, and aggro that rely on cards hitting the graveyard and recurring that are interested in this in Cauldron of Souls. And as I mentioned, being an artifact and completely colorless makes it purely agnostic and a great tool in the kits of a number of decks like uh, Perforos, Bronze Blooded, Drum Gully, The Generous, Micaiah the Unhallowed, and then we have uh, Piru the Volatile and some others that just got added out of Modern Horizons 2 in the recent Commander decks, which kind of sparks reinterest in this. So some of these decks look to abuse the counter on the creature directly, and uh, decks like Grumgully and Micaeus want to do that, or indirectly, like Chise, Heart of the Oceans, which is an interesting commander I'll bring up. Uh, oops, wrong thing. So Chise just cares about there being a counter on a permanent. Minus one, minus one, fate, trample token counter, it doesn't matter, just the counter in general, right? So that's kind of indirectly interacting with this. And... Um, others look to recur the creature for a second bite at the apple because they want these big ET, these big splashy ETB effects. So that goes for something like Perforos Bronze-Blooded, Zerillin of the Claw, which want to sneak attack a giant creature and get that ETB combat if you have to, give it persist, so when it dies at end of turn, it comes back into play, you get that ETB again, and you also get your fatty deck. Because what else are you putting into play besides something big and dumb? So it's kind of difficult to quantify the myriad of use of this card, um, but the longer that we continue to get synergistic generals, which expands the strategies and increases interest, um, that kind of becomes the important part of this card overall and why we should start to see it pick up in uh, popularity. Uh, we were a bit limited previously in the breadth of unique uh, play patterns, uh, but uh, overall themes in time, Watsi has kind of opened it up. You know, they, they've opened this pit up, and now there's a lot more that you can do with your generals and something like Cauldron of Souls and the abusability or reusability of those creatures. So I'm going to jump back to the stocks graph real quick and zoom in. 
So, uh, recent demand and the release of several, several new synergistic generals and strategies has, you know, pushed up the average on this card. Finally, you can see that it, uh, it added this in October, right? So we were looking at three dollars thirty, and then it drops and plateaus after call time, but finally comes back up. So, seeing that, my expectation is a five dollar retail price in the next three months, which means we should be able to out the buy list at a profit around six months from now. So that's when we, we should expect to see buy list hit about five dollars. This is also going to be a really great card to have in your binder as you eventually get out to events, and I think that might be the best way to kind of exit this card if you were to buy in now. Um, overall, the reprint equity on this I think is kind of a medium. It's been reprinted in Commander Once anthologies, which recycled the 2016 deck, and then the Mystery Booster um, the reprint as well kind of hit this, but it, it didn't hit it that hard. Cauldron of Souls did. Let me. Again, go to stocks. I'll bring this out of it so we can see. You know, Cauldron of Souls does spike into 2016. Commander decks hit and it eventually tumbles and you know never truly recovers until recently. So we finally seen all that extra supply dry up from the marketplace and demand continue. And that's why I think, like I said, three months this hits five dollars. Six months we're out. We're able to out the buy list. In the interim, you should be able to move this in trade because it's just this unique card we just got the actual card persist which continues to aid in the utility of these strategies and the uniqueness of these strategies and it's not like watsi is you know sitting on their heels and not leaning into something like this that wants to play off creatures either re-entering from the graveyard or double triggering etbs or uh, playing into the sneak attack style of certain decks and I, I think it's important because this is, you know, when you mentioned talking about, like, this is the kind of card that you're probably be able to out and trade. This is such a good, like, trade evening card because it is color agnostic, because it has a powerful effect, uh, and because it is something that, again, Graveyard Matters is something it synergizes with, but it also synergizes with Tokens Matter, or, you know, Counters, sorry, Counters Matter, uh, which, obviously, we just had a set where there were counters for every keyword in magic so it's clearly something that wizards is not afraid of messing around with and tooling with and bringing back you know not to mention that you know this this may be god i hope we get a return to lorwyn but if we do and we get a return to lorwyn and all of a sudden persist is back this suddenly becomes way better and I think that is super important to mention that, like, this is, you know, there there is a world where a set features this mechanic and this card explodes. Uh, not saying you should necessarily bet on that, but it is an amount of upside that not a lot of specs necessarily have. Don't hold out for it. Don't buy in based on that. But its potential is there. Yeah. And I think that it is a very, like... You know, they reprinted it twice already. I don't think the reprint equity is super low, but I don't think we're anywhere near where this is going to happen again because I don't know if you read the Lorwyn books, or book, I guess, because it no. was an anthology. This is plain specific. Oh, okay. So, somewhat relevant, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it, it is something that is plain specific, so it has to be reprinted in, like, a commander set. Yep, that's, and that's exactly why I think it would be um, a medium on kind of 
uh, on reprint equity. I don't think this plays well in a master set because you have to dedicate to some kind of play with the graveyard, and we had graveyard masters like two or three years ago. Uber, yeah. Right. Yep. And that they did a bang up job with that set, and it did not need help from this card. No. And the, the there's this interesting part about Cavern of Souls, and it's yeah, Cavern of Souls. That card is just interesting. Cauldron of Souls, and it's that you get to pick any number of creatures, and so you're not limited to just one or your own. Right. Yeah. I don't know why you would pick your opponent's creatures, but you can do that. And like I said, because this plays in every major pillar, I think it becomes an even more interesting look because you can say, okay, if I'm going to win the game, you know, well, the first EDH deck I built was Dromar, the second one is Crush. Both of those want to actually take control of the board, and I play a very limited number of threats in both, and if I want to keep them around through the rats that are included in that deck, Cauldron of Souls does that. And both of those are control decks, and this is a card that helps me play control it's yeah it's really unique how it kind of can worm its way into most facets of uh, edh and yeah for that i think it it's worth the look and like i said i don't think this is something that echo chambers but i think this is something that just gets better the more they make generals and strategies like i mean um Piru that just came out um, Fane the Broker, Felisa, 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 Thanos, yeah. like these all play into you know this card. I, I think it's solid. Thank you. Yeah. Been waiting on it for a while, and I'm finally glad it it, it popped back up. It's in a, a long list of those cards that I picked over the summer and into the early fall, and that EDH hole that it finally started to to uptick. Some of them ran away faster than I thought. This was not one of them. So. Yeah. This this was one that I I'm honestly surprised it's not more. I would have assumed it was. Yep. So yeah. I I am stunned. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring in the stocks graph again, and you can see it just took a really long drawn out tumble, and then flattened for a while, then yep. fell off a cliff at call time and came right back. Yeah. And I think it's just this brand new demand is kind of going to carry it over the finish line. This is one of those cards that could just get a uh, content creator look and then we're off to the races, truly. But uh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not totally sure because it's kind of like Grave Pact, Grave Portrayal, like we've mentioned, and those kind of decks where it's like you, you've got to want to want to do this. Yeah. And I don't think everybody wants to do this. So, Cauldron of Souls might not be for everybody. So that content creator push might not be the biggest push, but I think it still no. could be a, a push for this card. It won't rock. They won't rock it in. No, I, I think it's definitely. It is a. I think content creator push can and will happen with this card. I just think it's not going to be as explosive as like Rishadin Cut Purse. This card's better than Richard and Cut Purse, for the record. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> well, wasn't Cut Purse played in Aluren? That's the one that was destroys it? a permanent, right? Uh, unless they sack... Oh, no, Brigand is the one I'm thinking. Richard right. and Brigand. Uh, because Brigand is four? Five, or five. Yeah, five. Because Cut Purse you can Aluren just fine, but Brigand yes. was the one that Pirate Stompy played that was like... No. 
Yeah, just for chuckles and poo, I'm bringing up brigands. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cut purse was used <laughs> in the mirror. I yeah. I, I would have fought you on that one because it had a reason to be played. Yeah, it, it did. Fair. Yeah, that, that was my mistake. Sorry. Yeah. But I think that's going to be it for this week. Unless you have anything you want to talk nope. about. Right. Um, so, as always, you know, you can find uh, MTG Cabalcast on Patreon, Facebook, uh, YouTube. We are uh, on Twitter at MTG Cabalcast. The uh, podcast itself can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, Stitcher, Spotify. If you want to reach me on Twitter, I, I am at Halt, I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week. <laughs>